Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, hey, hey. Yakshamash. Come to you too, Rolander. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals, capusta, lumpy, pierogi, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Hey guys, this is Jake Kuba Kotsarowski, that's part of the tag team, one half of that tag team known as the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. Just wanted to thank you guys all for tuning in. Make sure you guys check out Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com, great SB Nation site dedicated to all your Wisconsin Badgers news, notes, and discussion. Once again, check out Bucky'sFifthQuarter.com, also on Twitter, at B5Q. Dozabachenya, my friends. Hey, Yak Shamash, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza. This is Jay Kokorowski coming to you live from Madison, Wisconsin. Here, of course, a part of Bucky's fifth quarter where you can go for all your Wisconsin Badgers news and notes. We've got tons of talk coming up. We've got some big basketball coming up. It is the state series coming up. Wisconsin Badgers obviously taking on the Milwaukee Panthers tomorrow night. Our Kurt Hogg will be there to break down uh, and uh, take a look and to analyze everything going down at the Cole Center tomorrow. Of course, the big matchup against the Marquette Golden Eagles. It's going to be the big one. You have, it should be a lot of fun. At about 8.50 before we end the podcast, we'll have our own Phil Mitten to talk about the show. I talk about the not just the show, but talk about the big matchups against the two teams in state and, and what he's seen so far. We haven't had him on in a while. But we'll also, uh, 8.30, 8.30, I should say, talking with John Veldheis, BadgerBlitz.com. Of course, the Wisconsin Badgers heading to the 2015 Holiday Bowl to take on the USC Trojans uh, down in San Diego, California. Should be a good time. Don't think I'll be able to make it out this time. I don't have the, the sky miles to, to make that happen. But but uh, we'll talk about that and some recruiting in about, about an hour, about 27 minutes. However, it, we are going to talk about the Green Bay Packers, obviously, People still riding a little bit of the, that that high that you saw on Thursday evening at Ford Field in Detroit when Aaron Rodgers just chucked up a literally and figuratively a prayer 
Uh, and it came down to the hands of Richard Rogers, the Cal to Cal connection, and the Wisconsin, you know, and the Green Bay Packers escape with a 27-23 victory over the Detroit Lions. And and Scotty, you know, you and I talked uh, this weekend a lot about it. We got the Polish rifle Scott Wisniewski here, and you know, we talked about it this weekend a little bit. But uh, it, uh, one of those moments that you'll probably remember forever. But it's also something else that the the Packers it doesn't really. The win's nice. They're eight and four. They're in the first, you know, first place in, in the AFC North over the Vikings, who lost to the Seahawks this weekend. But you're also looking at the fact that it's maybe temporarily masked masked a lot of still concerns about this was, you know, about the the Green Bay Packers. Well, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said a couple weeks ago, even before they hit this wound, that. They don't strike me as a Super Bowl team. Uh, Seattle has more of that look now, which I predicted that in preseason that they would be the team. Carolina has been a huge surprise, obviously. Um, Arizona, now with a healthy Carson Palmer, looks like a Super Bowl team. Um, They're still the best team in the division, but here's how I look at it. You know, there's a couple things that can happen for sure. Uh, Number one... um, you know they could be they could use this as a rebound like you know wow what the elation you're able to pull this one out you know maybe it gives you a little quote momentum but I I believe less in the momentum and I believe more in that they may play better if their offensive line is healthy and maybe having a couple extra days off because that's really the difference but if if he's missing three you know sixty percent of his offensive line it doesn't matter it, it doesn't matter how much, you know, joy or elation they had coming off of that one, you know, um, off of that win in Detroit. They they have to get healthy up front. I mean, the play that really struck me last week, the one that, that stood out before the Hail Mary um, and even before the big third-down conversion Detroit had late in the game, was the play where Bakhtiari left the game and the very next play, Aaron Rodgers took one of the hardest hits he's taken all year. I don't know if you remember that. It was midway through the fourth quarter. And and that right there is where I started thinking, you know what, he's going to get himself killed if they can't get healthy. So um, so that's what it comes down to. The injury report will come out tomorrow. We'll see what the status is on this offensive line. But if you can get the offensive line 80% back, they got a shot. They should, they should beat Dallas without Tony Romo, although Dallas had a big win on Monday. Um, they should beat Oakland, but I wouldn't take them for granted. And then it should set up two huge games, one against the best offense in football right now, Arizona, and then one that will probably be for um, the division title. And likely, if if they're smart, that game would get flexed out to the Sunday night last week of the season because that's probably going to be a division showdown. What they'll probably do is take two crappy NFC East teams that are battling it out and try to think that that's going to draw the ratings. But I, I think, but, but anyway, long story short, if they can get their offensive line back to 80%, they could be 9-5 and five going into that Arizona game. I think they lose that one. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, a ten and four, ten and five going into the Minnesota game, um, and I think Minnesota could be ten and five or somewhere a lot, or you know nine and six. Bottom line is, I think the way the schedule shapes up, it's going to come down to the winner of that game winning the division and being able to host a playoff game. 
Yeah, agreed. And, you know, it, it's been talked about a lot, but like, how big was that win? Obviously, you, you just the simple fact of getting that win, I think, kept them alive in the playoffs and kept them, you know, on, you know, especially hosting that, you know, a wild card game. Who knows what happens with the other teams? It yeah. looks like Carolina and Arizona will be. You're looking at them as maybe yeah. the ones that get the bye. But uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's amazing to see with that team. Uh, you know, it propels them so much. I mean, that was only, I don't know if you could say a must-win game, but uh, it was no, it, it was, was huge. No, it was it was it saves their season essentially because if they lose their seven and five. And now if they stay stumble and they lose two of the last four, nine and seven isn't going to get a wild card spot. Nine and seven might not have won the division. It likely would have kept them out of the playoffs. I mean, you're going to have a, a sub 500 or 500 team win the East, but Seattle's going to probably have nine or ten wins um, as one of the wild card teams. So um, it, it was definitely something they, that they needed. They needed that win. They got that win. Um, and it, 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 so it saves that because, because you gotta, you know, you gotta take the taste out of your mouth. If they would have lost to the Lions at home, but they had, or I'm sorry, in Detroit, but had beaten them at home earlier, it might not have hurt them as much. Or if they didn't take a loss to the Bears the week before in a game where they, they literally gave it away, uh, it might not have hurt them that much. But they had painted themselves in a corner. You know, you can overlook the loss to Denver. You can overlook the loss to. Carolina in Carolina because as we've seen they're undefeated and it was a road game but the Bears and the Lions losses at home stung so you had to bounce back and steal one get a road win against one of those teams and it was Detroit so they needed that one um they're 0-2 against the division at Lambeau so if if, I think if they want to win this division they're going to have to at least finish 1-2 at home against the division and beat Minnesota the last week of the season but they've got to do some other things first Again, get healthy, protect Aaron Rodgers, play mistake-free football the next two games as you set up for two huge games to end the season. Yeah, and it's it you know I'm uh, I this, this last month man is is going to be interesting. Obviously, yeah, you know, let's start you know I, we we kind of detailed out you know you, you gave your predictions going down. I think it will go down to the wire against the Minnesota Vikings for the division. There, but I'm wondering, man. You know, it's it's just starting off against the Dallas Cowboys now, who obviously being four and eight, and and, and that that odd win uh, against the, the, the Washington Redskins. Uh, you know, they're they're only a game out of first place in the NFC East. How crazy is that? Uh, how how nuts is that? I mean, obviously I mean, there's like a three-way tie being five and seven, which includes you know the rest of the division. But uh, they're a game out, even without Tony Romo, who's out for the rest of the year. And, and we're kind of looking into this preview now. We're about uh, ten minutes into the podcast. What I guess, in your opinion, like you know, what are you looking for in this game? And in, in, in do you feel that the Packers? Do you think they can do something against that Cowboys defense? Do you think? Uh, just that momentum from that win in Detroit will have that ability for them to kind of springboard into the the, the month of December and, and take it by storm. And I mean, what what are your thoughts heading into this game with the Cowboys? That obviously they're not a hundred percent as well. No, I mean they should beat the Cowboys. Um, I think they're better than the Cowboys without um, without Romo there. Um, but but you look at 
Um, look at the, the Cowboys. I thought their defense would be a little better than it was. They, they, um, you know, they're, they're fifth in yards per game, uh, but they give up 23 points a game. Um, I think with Matt Castle at quarterback, you should be able to win a game 24-20. You know, you should have enough points to win. Is it going to be a cakewalk? Absolutely not. I mean, I don't think there's any game on the rest of the schedule where, just gonna, where they're going to run away and hide from anybody because they haven't done that. I mean, even against Minnesota, it took late in the fourth quarter and some Minnesota mistakes for them to pull away. They're, they're not playing the type of football where they're going to just run away and hide from people. Um, so, I mean, so there's that, you know, Dallas has, uh, only given up 220 yards through the air and, and the receivers still aren't necessarily on the same page with, uh, with Aaron Rodgers as we saw. So what does that mean? Where they can gain some yardage against Dallas, I think is on the ground. I mean, I, I think they can run the football a little bit. Now, who will be running the ball? Will it be Lacey? Will it be, uh, Starks? Uh, will it be Crockett? I don't know. But teams have had success running the ball against Dallas, and I think if the offensive line is healthy and the Packers can establish a good mix between the run and the pass, they should score enough points just simply because offensively Dallas, again, they're just they're not the team that people thought they were going to be due to the injuries. And uh, we're here on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course, and uh, – here, of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. You know, one one interesting thing too, and I, you know, we, we've talked about you know this now for about 13 minutes with the Packers, but oh, one one thing in particular, like with the running game, and and you know, we're going to get to the part talking about Eddie Lacy, and it's been already talked about a lot. Rob Demofsky from ESPN noted that Lacy was limited in that game, and there's a reason why John Crockett was signed from the practice squad that night by simple fact that Alonzo Harris was released, but the reason why is due to the curfew. Uh, both Harris and Lacey uh, you know, missed curfew, and, and that kind of sent the message. And then on top of that, there are reports by uh, you know ESPN.com's uh, Field Yates, as well as Adam Schefter, saying that uh, it looked like a message was sent to Lacey regarding uh, the fact that former Wisconsin running back Monte Ball Worked out yeah. with the team on Friday immediately after the game. Now, you know what? Uh, do you think the message will be sent to Lacey? Do you think he's gonna? You know, it sounded like based off of some reports today that uh, McCarthy had said that he, you know, there's uh, plenty of time to regain his spot or whatever you want to say, however you want to put it. But they're not uh, giving know. up. Look, look, look they're yeah. not giving up on Lacey uh, because he was a high draft pick who's had success the last two years. Now, is he struggling this year? Does he need to lose some weight? Has he had some discipline issues as far as curfew? Yeah, sure. But if if Cleveland is still talking about uh, Johnny Manziel being out of the doghouse with all the missteps that guy took, when you're a number one draft pick, number two draft pick, you get a little bit more leash. So did I think that they were going to cut Lacey at the end of the year or, or bench him in favor of Monte Ball? Absolutely not. I never thought, would they bench him uh, over a guy like Starks, who's been in this offense for a few years and has had some success? Yeah, I could see that. I could see them sending a message that way. Um, but th- th- did I think at any point that he had to worry about losing his job? Maybe even if he doesn't gain his starting spot back this year, I think he could. There's still enough time. Did I, do I think they're going to give up on him? No. Do I think there's a message behind Monte Ball? Listen, until I see otherwise, Monte Ball's been a colossal bust in the NFL. 
He ran behind a good offensive line in Denver, not a banged-up one like the Packers are dealing with, and he struggled. Is he young? Sure. Can he bounce back? Absolutely. Should I, would I be worried if I was Lacey? No. What I'd be worried about is just getting my head screwed on straight and helping this team win and helping this team go to the next level and maybe finish what they tried to do last year that they couldn't finish. So uh, that should be the message. The message should be I'm a professional. I know what I'm supposed to do. I better get it in gear and do it. So, um, so that being said, how do I think the carries will be split this week? I have no idea. I have no idea. I have no idea how how Lacey's going to look in practice, how they're going to share carries in practice, uh, who's going to get the, the starting nod, so to speak, on Sunday against Dallas. Um, but I would imagine that he's going to get chances, even in that game. He can't put the ball on the ground. He's got to be explosive. When he get, no matter what he gets for carries, whether it's 5, 10, 15, he's got to be productive. And if he is, that's going to go a long way to digging him out of the doghouse, so to speak. So, um, so yes, I guess the long answer to that is the, the concern for Eddie Lacy should be to get back to being professional that he's, he was the last couple of years and stay focused on, on the bigger picture. Um but they need the running game. Uh, they're going to need it. Uh, the defense has played well enough, but some of the drives lately for the Packers in a lot of these games have been a lot of three and outs. And because of the three and outs, uh, it's, the defense isn't getting the rest they need. They're, 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 they have to stay off the field. You have to control the clock. It's cliche. I know, control the clock, limit your turnovers. Yes, but that's, but that's the winning formula. I mean, it's it's no different than E equals MC squared. That's the formula every time, whether it's boring or old hat or not. Control the clock. Don't turn the ball over. You're going to win way more than you're going to lose. And with that, yeah, you're looking at uh, – we'll save our prediction. Well, you know what? We should probably do our prediction now since uh, with, with the uh, stack show we have. Prediction for the game on uh, on Sunday. And who do you have with uh, Packers, Cowboys, I know you said that they, you think they should win, but what's the score and, and any key plays that you think? Well, I, 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 I wish I could predict key plays. I could go to Vegas and make a killing. Um, I think they win. I'm saying 24-20, a field goal game, four-point game. You know, it'll be nip and tuck, but, again, I think Dallas is offensively challenged. They're in the bottom five in scoring offense. Um you know, I I worried about this game when the schedule came out. I picked I picked the Packers uh, as twelve and four or eleven and five, but I knew I had them losing this game. But that's when I thought Tony Romo was on this team. But I also had them beating Detroit in Chicago at home. So uh, I guess you have to make them up somewhere as we go. But um, but without Tony Romo, this it's just a different team. It, you know, McFadden's having a resurgence. He's been really good, but. I don't think Bryant's 100%. He certainly isn't on the same page as Castle. Um, so I think the Packers win by, you know, I'll say 24-20. Yeah, I'll go 2017. I still, I think the Cowboys are still realizing they're still in the hunt uh, for the NFC East. And the fact that the Redskins are, you know, Eagles and Giants, I mean, they're literally a game back uh, in in uh, arguably the worst division in, in football outside of the, I would say, the AFC South. No, it's no, it's the worst because the AFC yeah. South still has two teams that are 500. Very true. Uh, Very true. That, I mean, that division has just been a dumpster fire. 
So no, I, I think the Cowboys come out hungry, uh, but uh, Packers will hold on. I think with that they'll go to nine, nine and four. But then they, you know, of course, the Packers have those that tough test there at you know the tough test thereafter before uh, finishing up against the Vikings. Hey, um, I want to throw a quick audible here, real quick. Uh, yeah, what's up? Wanted to just, just talk a little quickly about baseball. If people don't realize that the Cubs made two big moves today. Uh, just again showing that the Brewers division is going to be a meat grinder next year and the Brewers could lose 100 games, but there's a plan. I I believe there's a plan. I'm willing to give Stearns a chance to let his plan play out. I'm not going to freak out, but but it's going to be a rough season. Anyway, the Cubs uh, signed Ben Zobrist and traded uh, Starling Castro to the Yankees. Um, The Brewers are probably going to trade Adam Lynn this week. They've taken offers on Segura and even Jonathan Lucroy, although they say that Lucroy isn't on the trade block. You've got to think that if the offer, for example, Texas is in the hunt. They're looking at Lucroy. Well, if Gallo is one of the trade pieces, I think you have to consider it. I, I, you know, I wouldn't be actively trying to trade him, but I'd be actively listening, if that makes sense. Um, problem is they don't have a catcher that's major league ready to come up, um, and Maldonado's not off he's very offensively challenged so they'd have to go out and try to sign somebody but um i think you're going to see lynn traded i think you could see segura traded uh they also talked about getting a short-term solution in center field i think santana who's shown some flashes of power is a corner outfielder but i'd love to see them convert him to a baseman because i really think that's that's what he is is a first baseman yeah i I'm intrigued to see what they do. Obviously, there's you know those those are some of the bigger trades um, in Zobrist, and then you know trading Castro to the Yankees. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Wisconsin. Yeah, you know, I had a conversation with a with a coworker today about that, just about the Brewers' moves and and what to do. And uh, you know, like I said, it's 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 they're definitely in rebuilding mode now, and and I'm intrigued to see what they can get for Lind and if the price is right for Lucroy, why not if it's for Segura, um, now I know they have that sh- that shortstop prospect. I think it's our is it Arcia Arcia? Yeah, Arcia. Yeah, he's so, he's probably a year away. He's probably a year away. Um, you know, Brett Phillips is probably a year or two away. He's an outfielder. They got a lot. Of outf- they got a lot of outfielders and shortstops. They don't have a third baseman. They don't have a first baseman. Um, that's why thinking out, out you know thinking outside of the box, Santana becoming a first baseman might make sense. Um, they don't have a catcher. They've got some pitching. How good it is, we'll find out. But they don't have corner infielders, and they don't have a catcher. But or you know, but they have plenty of outfielders, and they have plenty of middle infielders. So maybe some trade pieces. I mean, RC is not one of them, but that would make sense why they would trade Segura. They tra- they they acquired Jonathan Villar, who could be a very short-term solution. It's short for a year while Arcia finishes his uh, polishing down in the minors. And then in 2017, RC is your starting shortstop. So that's why the Segura thing would make sense. If Segura had a little bit more power, you could maybe think about converting him to third. The problem is all these other guys that the Brewers have bantied out there as potential third base candidates don't have any power. And I think you have to have power at that position. I just do. I mean, I know that you can get a – unless you're exception, unless you're a 290, 300 hitter like Carney Lansford was or – you know, Wade Boggs. But if you're not that kind of guy or, or Carpenter from St. Louis, otherwise you've got to have pop there. You know, you've got to be able to create 
offense. You have to be a plus offensive player. So from that standpoint, uh, they're going to have to do something at third. They're going to have to do something at center just to be competitive. Again, I don't expect them to win a lot of games. They have a young rotation. It's growing and hopefully taking the next step. Um, you're kind of handcuffed with the Braun contract. I'm not a Braun hater. I think Braun's a little bit – the thumb still concerns me, and I think it's a very taxing piece of the payroll when you're not contending. If they're contending and you're paying that for a guy who can produce like Braun did last year, you can swallow that a little bit more. That you know, That's not such a hard blow to take. The other thing I worry about long-term, forget about short – I mean, they have to build a farm system and I, because – Going out and getting free agent pitching, I don't think is ever going to be in the cards for the Brewers. If you saw what happened in the last week or two with Branke signing and Price signing thirty plus million dollar a year contracts for seven years, the Brewers I don't think will ever be in a situation where they can, at least with the salaries being where they're at, where they're going to be able to con- uh, commit two hundred and ten million dollars to a pitcher. So they're going to have to do that internally. They're going to have to get lucky and take flyers on mid-level guys and have those pan out. Um, so now more than ever, the farm system and the, the cultivating of the young talent, even if it takes three or four years, is the only way they're going to be able to do it and be sustainable. Good drafts, which involve a lot of pitching. Uh, a deep farm system that allows you to trade pieces. So uh, it's going to be a bumpy road. It's going to be a long summer, um, but I guess what I would ask Brewer fans, people who call themselves Brewer fans who are listening, um, you can't not support the team. You can't not go to games because that what that will do is make the Brewers, even when they do start contending a little with young guys, go, well, you know, we can't really afford the, to pay the players because the fans abandoned us who didn't show up. It's a process. Nobody likes to see losing, but I believe with Mark Antanasio, this isn't the Wendy Seelig Brewers where they just lost and lost and lost and there was no plan. I'm willing to see what the plan is. I'm willing to see the vision of this team going forward, but I don't think we're going to have a repeat of the 90s and early 2000s. I really don't. So I think as a fan, you have to be patient. There have been some good years. There was a collapse two years ago, which left a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Understandable. And then a terrible start to a season last year that made them a non-starter, and they were never a contender. But they've had some good years for a small market. Yes, they haven't had the success Oakland had. Yes, they haven't had the Kansas City success, but Kansas City's success has only been a couple years. They were abysmal for a long time. So allow the process to play out, and let's see what happens. Absolutely. Everyone knew that. I mean, and it goes back. I mean, I had the same talk with the my coworker saying, you know, if you had, I mean, they trade away the farm and from what they have for prospects to get to that NLCS back in 2011. And, you know, the fallout and the fact that not every prospect panned out otherwise or they couldn't replenish, it it, it hampered them. And, and now, you know, it, it, the question becomes, would, would you ever have traded that back in the day? You know, would you, would you have traded that? Yes, I would have. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the window is very small to get to the postseason. But let's think about what they traded away. Okay, they traded away the shortstop, but um, they traded away Kane. 
But if the Brewers were still winning, if they didn't have the collapse two years ago, Gomez probably doesn't get traded. So where was Kane going to play with Gomez playing in center? Okay, so you had your center fielder. And you thought you were going to try to make a run at signing him until the wheels completely came off last year and you realized it's time to rebuild. Okay? Shortstop, they, they got Granky. They got to the NLCS. They were able to trade him for Segura. I don't think there's that much of a difference between Escobar and Segura. I really don't. So oh, no, I agree. Really the I, only, I, so, I agree. So the only piece that you didn't replace was when you traded away Odorisi, who could have been a nice young piece in a starting rotation. You know, and he didn't get that back in return because Halwig, who you got back in a Granky deal from the Angels, it just never panned out. He's he's never found his control. But if he would have, you know, a big, tall, six foot nine beast, then nobody would even be missing Odorisi either. So, yes, I would I would absolutely one hundred percent do it all over again. The Royals have been very successful, but it's not solely because of Kane and Escobar. Their bullpen was phenomenal. Alex Gordon figured it out finally. Hosmer figured it out finally. Um, they got in starting pieces that were just good enough to get them to where they needed to be until they were able to go at the trade deadline get a guy like Cueto last year. So, you know, so I'd still do it again. And I don't think if you don't make the trade, I don't. I still think we're in a rebuild mode. If we had still had Kane and we had Escobar, because then we wouldn't have gotten to. We're still rebuilding right now. I really believe that. So we'd still be right where we were, whether we made that trade with Kansas City or not. I agree. I, I agree. Uh, I, I I do. I, I mean, and I think you hit it on the head. Simple fact that Escobar, you had Segura come back back later with uh, with that Granky trade. But then, uh, yeah, Jeffers come back. You had Kane, and yeah, what happened yep. to Kane depend upon what, what with Gomez. Uh, but then, well, like I said, I think it's Odrazi's the one that was the key piece. I think the big trade that that you know I think many people missed, and Granny might be a little bit more of a not like the greatest teammate in the world. You're looking at uh, Brett Lowry with a Markham trade straight up. Uh, you know, Markham failed at the end of the year. Maybe that's the one trade that maybe you'd want back, especially with the fact that he could you know the versatility that he has uh, and, and the bat. Uh, so, I mean, I think that would be the only trade there that, that you know, and Markham was good for that first half of that year, and then it started trailing off. So maybe, and then, True. you know, it was ever the same. So maybe that's the one trade. But, but let me just say this in defense of that as well. You're right about Lowry. He could have played second base, but at the time they were still trying to bank on Ricky Weeks being the guy. Okay, obviously he wasn't. Um, Lowry... Um, Struggled a little bit um, in 2013-2014, rebounded a little bit in Oakland, and he would be now. You could have had him at second base and now moved him to third with Ramirez now retiring. And now you, So, yeah, you could have used him. He would have been a nice piece at third base, though he's got a suspect glove. But, of course, everybody Doug Melvin drafted had a suspect glove. So, oh, go figure. I mean, seriously, I'm not, I mean, that was his M.O. Oh, yeah, that's why he traded probably – but he thought Kane was tradable. He's like, well, you know what? He'll hit okay, maybe for average. All he is is a glove guy. Get rid of him. I mean, Doug Melvin didn't value defensive specialists. Yeah. No, I, I mean, he also had a lot of things where, yeah, uh, trying to figure out what he valued in the draft market, but that's a different story. Uh, but uh, on that note, uh, we're just at the bottom of the hour. We're going to take one quick break. We're going to come back. John Veldheis. 
Buck, uh, ba- formerly from Bucky's fifth quarter, now Badger Blitz, uh, doing some great work over there, talking about some uh, some Badger football, some USC, uh, some talking just the state of college football, some coaching now, uh, some coaching changes and how that affects recruiting. So uh, we'll come back in just a quick second, guys. This is the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's fifth quarter. guys welcome back bucky's fifth quarter in the kilbasa king sports extravaganza and uh thank you guys for joining us follow us at b5q uh, and at kilbasa kings wi you can find this guy on twitter as well at john veldheis one of our buddies formerly from bucky's fifth quarter before and now making his his uh his, his some great writing over at BadgerBlitz.com, and, and uh, they, actually one of your colleagues, John, uh, broke some news just I think maybe about two minutes ago about a, a walk-on uh, from Homestead and, and Jake Pop, uh, John McNamara reporting that uh, he's going to be a preferred walk-on. So uh, some breaking news, which is always fun on a live podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, it's always great. It's always great to um, find out about that kind of stuff. I was just watching the Star Wars trailer over and over again for a minute or two, so uh, I, I must have missed that one, but I'll have to get <laughs> caught up on that. Well, okay, so here's what I was thinking, John. Uh, we were talking about the bowl. Last week we were talking about how, really, I mean, you hate to play what if, but two plays kept the Badgers out of a New Year's Day bowl. Uh, you know, any you pick any one of the turnovers in the Northwestern game, and obviously the fumble against Iowa, but if you're not going to play in New Year's, I think that Holiday Bowl matchup is probably one of the most intriguing non-New Year's Eve, New Year's Day games of them all. The USC matchup, I wasn't expecting that a couple of weeks ago. Everybody was projecting Oregon and Washington State. I think it's a marquee matchup. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it, it's kind of nice. I mean, it, it, in one sense, it's kind of nice that the, you know, the game is so late uh, because it's a, it's a it's a 9:30 kickoff um, Central Time, so you you know you, you're the only one playing in that time slot because um, you know the games uh, it's I think obviously it would be 7:30 p.m. Uh, Pacific Time, and so I think you're right. I think for a non New Year's Day bowl, this is a pretty good 
matchups. So the guy, you know, the, the people that are running the Holiday Bowl are probably thrilled that they that these two teams were available, um, you know, for them to to kind of snap up. I mean, the, the Badgers have played out in California uh, a bunch of times recently, but they they've never played in the Holiday Bowl or in San Diego before. So that's you know, an exciting um, kind of new area for Badger fans to kind of head out to. And, you know, when you can grab a team like USC, especially since, you know, that you know, it's pretty close, relatively speaking, to where a lot of their fan base is. And, I mean, when you can grab a name program like that, uh, I, I think they, they were probably, you know, over the moon about having the chance to do that. And it makes for a really interesting um, bowl game for the Badgers. Because, and you're right, I had seen – it looked for a while, especially after you know the the divisional race and the Big Ten West kind of had uh, solidified itself. We kind of knew that the Badgers weren't uh, going to be in contention for the or to to win that division or to play in the Big Ten championship game. And so once that reality kind of settled in, really it looked like the Holiday Bowl was the obvious destination because uh, with the Big Ten's new um, you know bowl selection procedures, they couldn't go back to the Outback Bowl again, even if they had. So even if they had beaten Northwestern, they probably still would have ended up in this you know, this particular bowl game because I couldn't have seen them uh, jumping Michigan and going to the uh, the Citrus Bowl, um, the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl in, in Orlando. So really we kind of knew that the Badgers were going to end up here, but, you know, drawing USC as opposed to maybe, you know, Oregon or Washington State, or I even seen uh, Utah in there as kind of like a potential matchup. Uh, this is going to draw a lot more eyeballs uh, for this uh, for this game at the end of the month here. And we're here with John Veldheis from BadgerBlitz.com here on Bucky's fifth quarter in the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. And, John, you know, it's with this matchup, you you like it. You're looking at the fact that the Trojans, uh, obviously, uh, some people picked them to go pretty far this year. Uh, maybe a couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. No, I, I, you know, you have that. But, uh, you know, this team still is, uh, and obviously with all the, the hoopla with uh, Steve Sarkeesian, now obviously now mm-hmm. with his lawsuit uh, that was just filed, I believe, yesterday, you're, you're, you know, yeah. this team's rebounded. I mean, obviously they're 8-5. and five. They did win the Pac-12 South. And, and their passing game, they've averaged about 273 yards through the air. Uh, Cody Kessler, obviously, maybe not necessarily the, the year that, uh, you know, that he had his junior year, but still threw, completed 67% of his passes, over that, 28 touchdowns, six six interceptions only. This, you know, you're going up against the Badgers defense that only allowed maybe 165 yards passing. Uh, what are some of these matchups that that really uh, could tilt either way for for the, for these teams? Well, I think the big thing um, in, in taking from what Joe Schobert said yesterday, some of the players were available before. Um, the Wisconsin's kind of weekly press conference uh, for some of the other teams. Joe Schobert was talking a lot about. You know, the, the matchup of, of USC's passing game against their defense. Their defense has done a, a good job, like you're you know kind of alluding to, of keeping passing games in check. You know, keeping other you know phases of offense in check. But the the real thing that the, I think the Badgers are going to have to to do to kind of exploit a weakness here is they're really going to have to get some pressure on um, Kessler to you know to try and ground this uh, passing attack because. It, 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 I, and this is what Showworth said. I hadn't had a chance to go up and look at any statistics, but he seemed to be under the impression that that was an area of uh, an area of weakness for the for the Trojans that they were more, maybe more prone to giving up sacks and tackles for loss and, and maybe some quarterback pressures than some other teams that they had faced. And um, 
I think the Badgers also have a different kind of scheme uh, than what USC has been, you know, going up against for most of their seasons. So that's kind of an advantage. Yeah, or I, I could see that playing out as an advantage for the Badgers to kind of have this foreign scheme uh, run by run by Dave Aranda, who likes to you know mix up a bunch of different looks and bring pressure from a bunch of different areas. Um, and so if they can use that and to, you know to try and confuse uh, Kessler and maybe make him uh, put up some ill-advised passes or something like that, that's definitely something that I think the Badgers are going to have to do to uh, to win this game. They're they're going to have to kind of force their advantage and. You know, do kind of what they've been saying they they like to do all season, which is kind of dictate uh, what they're gonna you know force the offense to do instead of letting the offense kind of dictate how the game's gonna go. And, and you know, oh, go ahead, Scotty. Oh, no, go ahead. If it's a follow up to that, go ahead. So I was gonna shift gears for a second. So go ahead, Jim. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I was gonna say with with uh, with that with the offensive side, kind of switching real quick to the offense with the you saw a, a good performance out of the offensive line at least in the first half against minnesota going for 199 yards on 35 carries second half uh obviously maybe a little more conservative with that game plan with the rushing uh, i think they only gained uh total 257 uh after posting nearly two bills that offensive line and obviously uh you're looking at the fact that um, you know you've had the passing game mostly carry the the offense but um, what do you see? What did you like out of that offensive line? And do you think it can continue, uh, not just in the bowl game, but do, do you feel like that's the combination? Even with like once Dan Volts gets back, obviously from from his leg injury uh, for next season, do, do you think that line, obviously with kind of the wear and the tear and the the stumbles and the struggles, uh, I mean, obviously it's a good le- you know a lesson for next year and to build upon, correct? It, it is. Um... And the the thing that I'm going to be interested to watch um, as the Badgers move through their kind of bowl preparation and uh, you know maybe even going into next year is what they do um, kind of with right guard. I, I really was impressed with how uh, Bo Benchwall played you know at right guard, especially since he played a right tackle for uh, the vast majority of the season. And you know he was kind of going back and forth with Hayden Beagle um, as the the guy in fall camp before all of these injuries kind of struck everybody that had been, you know, competing for any significant playing time, it seemed like. Um, but that was a, that was a look that I thought, you know, really paid off. And, you know, maybe that's, uh, maybe that had something to do with Minnesota being down their top three um, defensive tackles for that game. So you, you really have to include that as a factor as well. But, you know, if they liked what they got out of um, Benchwall right guard, you know, I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they decide, hey, you know, let's just stick with, you know, maybe Benchwall right guard and you know keep Jacob Maxwell right tackle. Obviously, that, that you know it also depends on how healthy Walker Williams is because obviously Williams had been playing a right guard um, before he kind of got hurt and wasn't able to finish. Uh, I think it was the Northwestern game was where they kind of made the switch and took him out there. Yeah. Um, yep. But I, I think that's something that could pay off long term. I mean, like if that's if that's something that works for them, you know, they've had such a hard time developing, you know, developing any real consistency with all the guys that have had to shuffle in and out of this lineup. If that's working for them, I would tell them to you know just go ahead and stick with it. And you know, like kind of like what you were alluding to for for next year, um, they want to you know, get these guys as many consistent reps together as they can. And so if they feel like that can be a consistent look for them, uh, and I think Dan Daltz really is kind of the X factor here because we, as far as I'm aware, and and I've asked and I haven't gotten a, um, 
exact clarification on just what Volta's you know injury was uh, to his knee. I'm not sure if it was a season injury or something that's going to linger. You know, maybe into spring and fall camp. You know, I guess we'll find out. It maybe um, during bowl prep or in spring practice or something like that. But it's, when he comes back, I'll be interested to see how they kind of shuffle things around because they also have, you know, a guy like uh, Ryan Ramchek at uh, left tackle who's apparently been playing really well um, and has impressed the coaches on the scout team. So, you know, maybe he's a guy that can play left tackle. And then if, if Volts comes back, do you put him at center? And where do you, where do you move Dieter and Kapoy and Benchwall and all these other guys? So in, in the long run, I can see this working out for the Badgers in, in a pretty substantial way because you'll have these younger guys who have had a lot of experience together. But it will be interesting to see how they use the combination for this bowl prep and then whether or not that carries over into um, this next season here. Now, I'm going to shift gears here real quick. I know Jake's going to talk about my favorite subject, recruiting, in a little bit. But <laughs> I just wanted to uh, – <laughs> I just wanted to um, – big picture, you know, we, we've kind of talked about this on the show – about how I thought this was a little bit of a resurgent year for the Big Ten as a whole, um, big non-conference wins and just overall better play. And it's been less – the national headlines have been less dominated by the SEC and, and more inclusive of conferences like the Big Ten and the ACC. Anyway, that being said, when you look at the bold picture, including Michigan State being in the, the four-team playoff, and you look at some of the other teams that are playing in the high-profile bowls, uh, do you think the Big Ten will continue some of that momentum and maybe put a, a final stamp on a season? I don't think Michigan State's going to win at all. But I'm just talking about some of those other bowl games where I think the Big Ten has a chance to, to reassert itself as a power conference, one of the top two conferences once again. Yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong. I think the Big Ten has some um, some decent you know, pairings this year where, you know, I, I remember just in years past they'd get matched up against these, these heavy-hitting SEC teams, and if you'd go down the list and just be like, geez, I don't know if they're – I mean, like, would they go winless, or would they go winless on January 1st against, you know, these all these Power 5 teams? I mean, it seemed like, you know, in previous years that was much more of a possibility um, than it was uh, – or than it is this year. And, honestly, I like – you know, I like Michigan State. I, I guess I'm kind of done underestimating them because I've kind of done that for most of the season. So I, I don't know if I would predict them to beat Alabama, but uh, I guess I would be, I would not be surprised if they, you know, if they did, uh, because I've just, I, I've watched, you know, Mark D'Antonio's teams for too long to, you know, to be underestimating, uh, underestimating them in the way that I, I guess I had this year. Um, I, you know, Iowa and Stanford um, should make for a really interesting, you know, kind of throwback Rose Bowl. Um, and, and, and you know what? I was one of those teams, too, that uh, has really kind of flown under the radar despite winning all their, you know, all their games in the regular season here. And, you know, with the, the kind of balance that they've been able to find on offense and, you know, they're, and you know what? For, and I watched the Big Ten Championship game. Their defense was just killer for most of that game. Um, and so I would give them pretty fair odds in, in the Rose Bowl. I like you know, Ohio State's talent. You can match up against anyone uh, when they take on Notre Dame, and then you go down, go down the list. I guess it, their overall bowl fake, I think, will also depend on how these, you know, these mid-tier games go for them, like with Wisconsin taking on USC and Northwestern um, playing, I think it's Tennessee in the Outback Bowl, if I remember correctly. Um, and yeah, then, right. uh, although... Yeah, and then something that 
I think is something else to watch. It, it, it also, I think, kind of depends on how well these five and seven teams do in the bowls because uh, those are no, you know, shoeing games for the you know for Minnesota and uh, Nebraska just because of the issues that they've had there. But if those if if those teams that are down on the bottom of the spectrum can kind of pull their weight, I think the rest of the league is you know strong enough as you move farther up where the you know the Big Ten can have a pretty decent uh, bowl season. Yeah, we're with John Veldheis here uh, on Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Of course, one of the great writers at BadgerBlitz.com. You can follow him at John Veldheis on uh, on Twitter. Uh, and always good stuff from from you, my friend. Uh, I know we, uh, we're running close out of time a little bit, running up close. Uh, but let me ask you real quick, and we kind of talked, you know, a little bit uh, off the air just with some coaching talk. Obviously, you've seen some of the big, high, you know, some of the bigger name hires, Mark Rick to the Miami. Uh, you've seen, uh, you know, Dino Babers from Bowling Green head up to Syracuse. You've had uh, yeah, Will Muschamp go to South Carolina. There's been it's just been it's just really interesting to see kind of the what's happened, uh, and even with uh, now with Chris Ash, the former Wisconsin defensive coordinator, right. and Brett Bielma heading over to Rutgers uh, after his stints over in Arkansas, Arkansas, and at Ohio State. Uh, but you didn't hear Dave Aranda's name much, uh, which a lot of many people, I mean, maybe the one you really heard was a school that he went to or that he, uh, you know, that he coached for in Hawaii and, uh, they, they chose, uh, someone else. And my question is, and I think you and I both think along the same lines is, is, is it, is he more, you think his name's more attached to a college job or do you think it might be something more on the professional level, uh, given the fact that you I mean he did interview with the Packers last year, uh, last spring, uh, for an assistant position out there. Yeah, um, I, I I think that is probably closer to um, the, the the reality of the situation. Um, I, I remember when you know some of the Big Ten you know coaching changes were happening midseason, especially the Minnesota one. Um, you know, people were tweeting out that maybe Dave Aranda was a guy that Minnesota would look at. And then, you know, and, and you're right. He was also brought up as somebody uh, maybe for Hawaii because he, he had coached out there. Um, but, you know, you're right that his name really hasn't been out there very much um, as, as far as coaching jobs go, especially for the head coaching job. And, I, you know, I, I try to keep a pretty close tab on, um, you know, kind of the, the silly season rumor mills and, and all that. And, uh, you know, like, so I have like a tweet deck, uh, column with, you know, just Dave Aranda. And he's just not, he's just not getting a lot of mentions this time of year. If anything, it's coming up as, um, you know, people just, you know, spitballing as, you know, potential names for like USC's defensive coordinator. Cause, uh, you know, Aranda's kind of from uh, Southern California has some ties that are out there. Um, or maybe, you know, some of the SEC defensive coordinator openings that are, you know, people really haven't solidified yet. But my my theory or my working theory for right now is that, um, you know, a lot of NFL jobs have not come open yet as far as coordinating and then assistant coaching goes. By no means am I suggesting that, you know, he would jump straight to being an NFL head coach or anything like that. But I've always, you know, kind of suspected that, you know, Dave might be a better fit for an NFL uh, job opening at some point uh, during, in, in his career, he had said, um, you know, during the midseason that he was maybe more open to being a college head coach, um, you know, maybe now than he was in the past. Uh, so that I, that I guess kind of took me by surprise because he'd always just seemed like a guy whose his future was going to be in the NFL because he's you know he's he's wicked smart, 
he, you know, he knows this, the, the schematics of football. Uh, he's forgotten more about football than, you know, I will ever know. Um, but <laughs> I guess if we'll have to just wait and see where, you know, once the NFL kind of coaching carousel starts spinning, which is going to be, you know, in a couple weeks here as the season starts to wind down and teams start to make their changes. If, you know, his name is still flying under the radar once the NFL starts, you know, for starts looking for new coaches and new assistants and, th- and things like that, then I guess I would tell Badger fans that they could be more reassured that he's still going to be around after this next season. But I would I would um, advise people to wait until we start to see some of these NFL jobs that are going to come open be filled uh, before, you know, you I could tell you to really bank on Aranda being back uh, for next year. Right now, I, I guess I am surprised that his name isn't coming up for college jobs, but I had always kind of suspected that the NFL was may- maybe the more likely destination for him. John, it's been great talking with you, my friend. Real last question for you, just uh, maybe a little bit more of a broad stroke here. With recruiting, all the all the big coaching changes, obviously recruiting plays a big part, and uh, Badger Blitz, you guys do a great job with recruiting on on that level with with just breaking down everything especially with uh what uh you know your colleague and what you guys do what you do uh with just breaking out the news about the the new walk-on uh commit in in jack pop from from uh, i believe it was homestead if i'm not mistaken and uh but let me ask you like with with all the recruiting changes like you know and all the obviously stuff with rutgers uh your thoughts on uh any any commits that you've heard of that possibly you're looking at possibly that uh, the Badgers could flip, especially with what you've seen in South Carolina and at Rutgers. You know, as far as I've seen, um, I don't uh, – it, it didn't seem like there's a lot of guys that they're really going after right now, at least from what I had heard. Um, it sounded like the coaching staff, once they started you know, to go out to the um, – start doing in-home visits, they really prioritized a lot of, um, you know, commits that had already been, um, you know, been committed for a while. Like, I know uh, Paul Chris was out in Arizona, so he went out to see Kari Lyles and Garrett Rand. Um, and they've been um, going around and just making sure that they uh, touch base with all these guys that they've been working with. Um, the one corner, Renee, I think is somebody that they had been working on um, but I think Chris Ash is a guy that will, you know, kind of um, maybe solidify that a little bit. So as far as I'm aware, I think the Badgers are just kind of working on, um, you know, the, the guys that are currently committed and then um, maybe just kind of working on guys that are not, uh, I should say, currently committed, maybe leaning one way or the other. But I think they're kind of working on guys that are uh, – been, they've been with the program for a while, but they do have a big uh, weekend coming up uh, this weekend uh, with the Marquette game and uh, things like that, too. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of uh, news coming up on that in the next couple of days or so. Awesome. John, as always, my friend, great having you on. Appreciate you uh, coming on on uh, such short notice. And uh, checks in the mail, my friend. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, excellent, man. Take care. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's uh, John Veldheis from BadgerBlitz.com. Like I said, follow him on Twitter at John Veldheis. Uh, we're going to take one quick break, come back. Phil Mitten uh, from Bucky's Fifth Quarter, obviously the Wisconsin Badgers, big time right now uh, with, uh, with you know in terms of just building on their wins against Syracuse, building on their wins again, the win against Temple uh, the past this past week. We'll talk with him some more, guys. We'll be right back on Bucky's Fifth Quarter.
Man, we go from more Badger talk to the next. Uh, we are, uh, uh, you know, we are uh, here on Bucky's fifth quarter. Big thanks to John Veldheis coming on a short notice. He is awesome. Uh, I, of course, former Bucky's fifth quarter contributor, uh, now doing some great work at Badger Blitz. Uh, and like I said, they're the ones that kind of broke some of the story there with. Uh, you know the new walk-on. Uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit da- down the road about Jack Pop, the wide receiver out of Homestead, and so we will uh, talk more about that. But, but that, we're we're done with football for now. We got about three weeks away. What's going on now? It's going to go on tomorrow. It's the Wisconsin Badgers, Milwaukee Panthers. It's the state series coming up, and we are here with Phil Mitten. Find him on at on Twitter at Hoops Marinara. Love the Twitter name, my friend. Glad you you've kept that. How you doing? And uh, yeah, how's your how's your Tuesday night going, my friend? Uh, very peaceful Tuesday night. Uh, so just ready to talk some basketball. Looking forward to the uh, in-state series uh, that are going to be starting here. I know, I know, and it's it's coming up. It's huge. It's uh, and you know we haven't had you on in a, in a while. I apologize for that, my friend. Uh, we're going to try to get that basketball preview show up a, a little earlier than uh, the several weeks in. I promise you next time. But with with that, you know you, we've got a little bit of a taste of of the Badgers. You've seen progression so far this season, and you know, obviously they raise the banners their opening night and then lose uh, and. Next thing you know, they've gone through some highs, some lows. You, you saw, um, you know, Wisconsin play tough, and, and especially without in, in New York, and but then uh, some struggles in Oklahoma. But then they've ruled, off, you know, reeled off two straight victories against some impressive opponents, uh, especially uh, number 14 Syracuse in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, your initial thoughts through the, you know, the first part of this non-conference uh, part of the season. Well, first of all, we're seeing how good Oklahoma is. They put the beat down on Villanova the other night. Um, So they're now, I believe, the top-ranked, maybe second-ranked team on Ken Pomeroy's rankings now, the Sooners. So that loss, uh, away, first true away game, I think most people kind of realized that that was going to be a tough place to win anyway. So um you can excuse that one, maybe the Georgetown loss as well uh, with such a young team. You're never going to excuse the Western Illinois loss, so um, you got to chuck that up to a once-a-decade once occurrence, I suppose. And once every 10 years, you're going to have a slip-up of that nature. But I think you can see that the batters are kind of uh, figuring out what their identity is really going to be. Some of the younger guys uh, getting more comfortable with their reps uh, guys like Ethan Happ for sure, Charlie Thomas, um, even even some small signs of progress from uh, Khalil Iverson, stuff like that uh, is going to make this team really much better in Big Ten play. So obviously they've turned it around with a couple of really good non-conference wins in the last two uh, games out, and so that's going to be really important for their tournament profile because. Uh, they're definitely going to have to play their best during the Big Ten season to get a bid this year with how tough the league is and uh, just how their schedule sets up. So it's going to be an interesting run, but I like the way they're trending right now. Yeah, right now we're here with Phil Mitten. Find him on Twitter at Hoops Marinara from Bucky's Fifth Quarter, our lead basketball editor. Great stuff from him. And you mentioned that the Badgers are currently, you know, six and three, won two in a row. 
And uh, by the way, just letting people know we've got about 20 seconds left on the live stream. We're going to go B5Q after dark uh, coming up. So if you guys listen to the podcast, you'll hear more Phil and I talking, uh, Badger Hoop. So stay with us. Thanks for listening. But Phil, you know, you mentioned some of the contributions from some of the younger players. Obviously, uh, you many people talked about how Ethan Happ maybe shouldn't have redshirted last year, but it seems like he, obviously, after a little bit of struggles, the first maybe game or two, he's starting to pick it up, some double-doubles. Uh, t- and, you know, we've had a couple articles written about him. What have you liked about Ethan Happ uh, progressing so far? And what else, what do you want to see out of him more uh, as we start to approach that Big Ten conference season? There's definitely a lot to like about him. Uh, early on, he was having some foul trouble basically so he couldn't stay on the floor which was really the only thing that limited him um so i think those little things on defense moving his feet um, being in a good position knowing what his teammates are going to be doing what his responsibilities are um kind of those things that you expect there to be a learning curve for a big guy but as far as positives he's uh just a relentless rebounder and he he kind of is a bit of an emotional guy I've noticed as well, but um, he's been able to channel that into being a beast on the boards for the batters, and that's exactly what they need. And so that's the biggest thing he brings to the table right now. And um, obviously that's uh, maybe that's a little bit infectious as well because uh, some of the other forwards are getting into the act as well. And so it'll be great if he can – keep up on the defensive end so he is available uh, on offense. And if he can just get some of those bunnies to go down, um, we'll be in good shape with him uh, anchoring the defense back there. We're here with Phil Mitten from Hoops, uh, from, uh, I'd say, Bucky's fifth quarter, Twitter at Hoops Marinera. And you're talking with the, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the other forwards, and they are without Andy Van Fleet, obviously, the NCAA withholding or uh, upholding, I should say, their rule. Their, well, you uh, can say it decision. that way. Yeah, or or yeah, the so yeah, I don't. Yeah, it, it, they're they're withholding <laughs> Van Fleet basically from the team. Uh, kind of a it seems like a silly rule, uh, and many people can talk about other things uh, with with other schools. Uh, don't know how we'll, we'll keep this uh, classy here on on the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza. But uh, but even though he was you know a big six ten six eleven body, you're looking at the fact that. Uh, you talked about the forwards, you're, the younger guys. Besides Hap, you've seen a guy like Khalil Iverson. You've seen Charlie Thomas, who has a, a – we talked about – I talked about it yesterday in uh, on 95.3, the score in Appleton. Just Charlie, his body, he's he's got a college body. He may have an NBA body already based off of just what you see out of him. Uh, you see also Alex Elkanen getting some action as well. Uh, so you, you have these younger forwards – uh, and then you couple them, of course, with Vito Brown, who's who's emerged out of that. We'll get to the question about him in a little bit. But uh, thoughts on him? Uh, you know, thoughts on just these young guys that are getting a lot of action and doesn't even include Pritzel, the the, the shooting guard. Uh, your your thoughts on these younger players and their development? Yeah, it's, obviously it's great to get them playing time early in the season. Uh, the fact that they're playing out of necessity isn't that great. Uh, doesn't say much for your uh, roster composition and needing to play a bunch of freshmen at power forward. But uh, nevertheless, in the long run, that's going to be a good thing. Um, like you said, Charlie Thomas is Big Ten ready as far as his physical attributes. 
I think he just needs to kind of slow things down a little bit. He had a great run, him and Illicanen, I believe, against Temple, scored uh, something like 12 points in a row between the two, which was um, an amazing stat when you think about it, um, <laughs> hitting hitting jumpers and everything. Um, so I, I think for Thomas, again, just slowing things down, making the right choice, not trying to do too much. Um, he's another one of those guys. This has kind of been a trend early Early on for the Badgers, unfortunately, but uh, easy putbacks, not going down uh, for some of the big guys inside off those offensive rebounds. Um, so you'd like to see that improve, um, and hopefully it will once the game kind of slows down for them as they uh, get more comfortable. Illa Kamen's got a great shot, um, but it's nice to be able to swap him or Thomas in for some depth there, depending on what uh, the defense is giving you kind of looking a little more uh, outside work versus Thomas. Um, and then the other main contributor we've seen from the true freshman being Khalil Iverson, who's kind of that wow athlete um, who c- can do a, a little bit of everything uh, as, except for maybe shoot from the outside, but uh, he can handle the ball a little bit. Uh, needs to get a little bit better with his, decision-making with some passing, but we've already seen a little bit of improvement uh, from him there, but he gives you something that really nobody else gives you outside of perhaps Hayes, just some next-level level athleticism, uh, can do some different things, kind of in the same vein as a Sam Decker might have in previous years, able to just squeeze behind the defense, uh, find his way to the rim and finish. Um, so definitely from a fan perspective, enjoy seeing a guy like that out on the court able to, you know, flush home a fast break every now and then. So uh, these guys are its really fun to watch uh, young guys like this get their first chance to play at the college level. You're here with Phil Mitten from Bucky's Fifth Quarter, our lead basketball editor and our basketball guru. Always fun having him on. With the, You know, we've talked some about the younger guys stepping up. Obviously, they've had to, but you're also looking at the fact that this team is is brought back two starters, consistent starters from last year, and Bronson Koenig, who leads the team in scoring at about just a shade under 16 points per game at 15.8. Uh, you know, has about a, you know two, averaging about 2.7 assists per game. Has about 13 turnovers already, though. Uh, so I mean, you know, it, it, it's he's getting uh, you know he, he's leading the offense there. But you also have Nigel Hayes at about 15 points per game. Uh, averaging about 6.4 rebounds and uh, also like 4.2 assists, which is uh, nice to see out of out of Nigel. But what have you seen out of them? I know Nigel has changed up his shot a little bit, uh, but what are you seeing out of those two? I'll, and I'll call them they're, they're veterans. What do you see out of these two veterans that are, are leading this uh, this Badgers team right now? A very young Badgers team and an experienced team through this non-conference season. Yeah, I think for the most part, uh, they've been able to give the team what they've needed. Um, We saw for kind of one of the first times all season, both Koenig and Hayes had pretty good games against Temple, um, and you kind of saw the results. They they were able to run away from Temple in the second half there. So you kind of got a glimpse of the potential for what this team can do when both of their main stars are kind of clicking at the same time, which we haven't always seen this year. Um, I I think what we've seen first and foremost recently is Nigel Hayes operating as kind of that point forward, which I I think is a great move by the staff to 
get him out handling the ball. But that's uh, proven to unfortunately be the only way Bronson Kana can really get a rest uh, with the guard depth really being lacking. We talk about all these young uh, forwards that are getting minutes, but there's really no one there to spell Bronson Koenig that Bull Ryan has much faith in. So they've gone to uh, Nigel Hayes, kind of running the offense through him a little bit, even when Koenig is in the game, uh, to get him some more looks off ball. Um, and it seems to be working really well. Hayes has been able to take advantage of mismatches and uh, go down to the block more often, which is really where he thrives. Uh, his improvement shooting from the outside notwithstanding over the last year or so but he really does thrive on the interior he's a smart player a physical player and that's where he can make uh, his biggest impact so um i like what hayes is bringing from that standpoint leading the team in assists uh, and koenig uh I've really <laughs> he's averaging 40 minutes a game the past three games against some quality opponents, but I'd really like to see Wednesday night against Milwaukee as uh, someone else <laughs> give them a breather, whether we can finally get Jordan Jordan Hill some minutes would be excellent. I'd love to see something like that. Um, you know, just get him some rest as uh, we're in this in the middle of this homestand for the Badgers. He, he can't be playing 40 minutes a night in all these games because he's probably going to need to do that during Big Ten season. But in general, just to kind of summarize, you know, I, I think you're getting mostly what you expected out of those two guys um, when you combine their production. So uh, I don't probably Bowrein not too un, unhappy with those two guys. He's, those are his leaders, and um, I think as the team's coming together nicely, um, those two guys will be the reason for it. And uh, with that, you're, you're looking ahead, of course, this week. And we'll save the Big Ten. We'll have you back on before the start of the Big Ten conference season. So uh, you and Kurt, our fellow Wisconsin uh, basketball writer, which, by the way, you, you're you're writing, and Kurt and, and Zach Sinekin, uh, you guys are, you know, and, and we have a, a couple other writers on the Bucky's fifth quarter staff. I, I'm really excited to, to see more of the basketball writing. You guys are doing phenomenal work. Uh, on that, so let me just tell you that you guys are uh, you guys are doing some great work there. Uh, where uh, you know, with this week you have Milwaukee, then you have Marquette this weekend. What are you, what are your keys to both games, uh, and what do you expect uh, out of the Badgers uh, in these in these two? Uh, you know, big, I, I call them big just because I'm from Milwaukee, so I grew up watching the Panthers, <laughs> and the Mar- you know, and Marquette. Obviously, I, to be honest with you, and this may be sacrilegious to some people, but but uh but you know it's a big series for me just because of the fact that uh you know it's a, it's my hometown and, and you have two you know tra- i'd say traditionally good milwaukee's been good here and there but uh your thoughts uh and, and what do you expect to see out of the badgers against the panthers and the golden eagles yeah i guess we'll start with milwaukee um it's good to see them kind of back on the upswing again under rob jeter have had been off and on uh, a decent team, tournament team, certain years, um, other years struggling. But um, I think tomorrow night uh, we'll see a Panther team that does have some size in the middle for uh, a Horizon League team. Uh, they got a 6'6", uh, small forward, I guess, shooting guard type 
out of the Madison area, uh, but then they have uh, 6'10", J.J. Panofsky out of Broadhead in the middle, and Matt Tybee has been a big player for them at par forward for several years. Uh, he's a big physical guy, so their front court um, has some talent there, and as a result, they've been limiting offensive rebounds all year. That's been one of their strongest uh, attributes, uh, which kind of goes goes up directly head-to-head with the Badgers' ability to get offensive rebounds. So that's uh, one area to look at tomorrow night during the game. Um, just comes down to Milwaukee doesn't have much depth, um, which might seem funny compared to Wisconsin. Uh, you know, you could maybe say the same thing, but, um, you know, I expect Wisconsin to take care of business, be able to um, wear them down in the second half. Um and, you know, with Koenig and Hayes, the two best players on the court will obviously be uh, wearing the white jersey. So, um, you know, it'll be – it's always good to see Milwaukee have a good team, like I said, and uh, just cool to see some of those uh, former high school players from within the state showing up on the Cole Center floor. There's a couple other Wisconsin natives uh, maybe coming off the bench for Rob Jeter. So um, I do expect Wisconsin, obviously, to take care of business. Wednesday, and then Saturday, the uh, big one with Marquette will be pretty interesting, uh, first and foremost, because uh, they have a particular player that Wisconsin was recruiting pretty hard, um, Henry Ellenson, a big big freshman stud for them, uh, putting up great numbers so far. So I'm hoping that uh, we could maybe get a Nigel Hayes versus Henry Ellenson matchup for most of that game, which will be really fun to watch, too. Very talented guys who could end up in the uh, NBA someday, so uh, sooner than later, possibly. So that would that would be pretty interesting. Um, I think Hayes has shown uh, some good defensive work in the last couple games, shutting down a few guys uh, of various positions. So um, I know he takes uh, pride in his defense, and he's really taking that seriously this year. So be interesting to see if he does get matched up on Ellenson or maybe switched onto him here and there at least uh, and what that matchup entails uh, should be pretty exciting. Um, otherwise, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was going to say, no, no go ahead. Uh, what, what are your uh, what are your predictions for the game, that, for both games? Uh and in, in, in what do you see the outcome being for, for the two uh, big in-state series games uh, coming up? Yeah, obviously I like Wisconsin uh, against Milwaukee. Um, fairly handily to win that one. Going to be a, another low-paced uh, game probably. But they should win by double digits there. Um, and then the Marquette one, again, at home. Badgers keep getting comfortable, hoping to turn this into a winning streak. Uh, I think uh, they can win that one as well. Um, I'm sure it will be uh, a little bit probably more low scoring than the pundits predict and probably a little closer. It always is. Uh, A lot of passion in that rivalry game. But I do expect the Badgers to come in with two wins and hopefully have a four-game winning streak um, going by Sunday. Absolutely, and you know, looking at Marquette real quick, they uh, beat up San Jose State uh, behind uh, Sandy Cohen uh, with his win. They, they uh, look at the fact of let's take a look at the final score. Just taking a look, eighty to sixty-two uh, was the final score for Marquette beating San Jose State. 
uh, and Sandy Cohen seemed to have a, a hot hand in that. So no, it'll be fun to watch. Uh, you know, they're seven and two, taking on Wisconsin, who's six and three currently. Uh, and you know, of course, you can't doubt uh, Rob Jeter in, in the uh, Milwaukee Panthers coming into the Cole Center too. So, uh, anyways, uh, what, what do we have going on, Phil? By the way, I think we got some good game previews coming up tomorrow. We got uh, obviously and also uh, some Q and A's from what I can. See in the pipeline uh, behind the scenes unveiling the curtain of Ducky's fifth quarter. But uh, what do we got going on this week uh, on the site basketball-wise? Yeah, like you said, we should have game previews up for both the Milwaukee game tomorrow and uh, the Marquette game this weekend and looking to get in touch with the guys from Anonymous Eagle for a little Q&A if we can, uh, like we've done a couple times previously. Always fun to chat with them and see uh, what kind of Wisconsin hate they're brewing up over on their site. Um, just get a <laughs> feeling for what life is like uh, rooting for the Ellenson brothers and Wojo and so on and so forth. So um, it should be uh, it should be more content coming on B5Q for basketball for sure. Yeah, and maybe before I let you go, can I ask? But you know, and and maybe I don't. Know, is it the fact that Marquette doesn't have a football team? Where does that hate come from? Where I mean, you know, maybe it's obviously with Minnesota. There's a there's a hatred because Minnesota, for a time being, dominated the at times dominated the the football series for Ball Bunny and Zach's. But where does the hate come from, Marquette fans? Do we have we pinpointed where this comes from? I mean, because I mean, being from you know, obviously you and I are both you know UW alums. We you know we've been in Madison. You know, we still both live in Madison. Not to give away too much there, but what where does it you know like. Uh, Obviously, it's a big in-state series, but it seems like Marquette, especially with some of their their expletive-laden chants, seem to be a little bit more <laughs> heavy on this. You know, where where does this come from? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of things actually go into it, and just kind of all rolls like a giant snowball downhill. You know, you've got different angles, like the uh, public versus private angle. You've got the um, you know big brother, little brother in-state. Um, angle um you've also got history there when the teams sometimes would play two times a year because there used to be a holiday tournament uh where both teams would be involved and usually meet in the championship um and those were that was kind of back in the al mcguire era where uh marquette had a successful program and a really brash head coach uh, i think that rubbed some of those constant people the wrong way um, you just have all these sorts of different <laughs> dichotomies going on where um, <laughs> even though we're only a few miles apart down the highway, there's, you know, in some ways they couldn't be more different. So, um, and at the same time, familiarity breeds contempt, right? So you just mix that all up and uh, then you add the internet in there and it's it's just a powder keg. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks for making some time. Like I said, on short notice, I uh, always appreciate you coming on Talking Hoops. We'll talk. We'll get you and Kurt on this show coming up. We'll do a basketball road, round table before, uh, hopefully before the holidays or even just right afterwards talking some Badger hoops. Uh, and, and thanks again, man, for coming on. Absolutely. Thanks, Jake. Guys, Phil Mitten, of course. Find him at Hoops Marinara on Twitter. Check out Bucky's fifth quarter coming up this week. We're going to have some game previews. Check out, talk about the games on our game threads. Uh, coming up this week and obviously follow us on Bucky's fifth quarter two coming up. We have obviously we're going to tweet out and we're also going to get a story out on the newest Wisconsin Badgers verbal commit as a walk on Jack pop 
is is the name uh, and a uh, nice six three two hundred pound wide receiver. Uh, we'll see uh, what the Badgers can make out of him, and uh, we'll have an article coming up in the next half hour. There. Thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, thanks again to Phil Mitten. Thanks to John Veldheis. Of course, the Polish rival Scott Wisniewski had to get going. Uh, we've run a little over, but enjoy the 80 minutes that we have here. Doza Bacenia, my friends, check out Bucky's fifth quarter. And also, last one, last plug, gamedaydepot.com, our Make It A Dozen shirt. Get it in time for Christmas. Choose Hurry or Rush Guaranteed shirt, uh, you know, Rush or Guaranteed shipping, $21.99 for the red shirt, $17.99 for the white shirt with the red lettering. Celebrate the dozen years of dominance that the Wisconsin Badgers have had over the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Enjoy that. Enjoy the rivalry that the Badgers have. And by the way, the Gophers lost to Joe Krabenhoff's South Dakota. Uh, yeah, to, to the South, you know, Joe Krabenhoff's South Dakota team. So congrats to them for beating the Gophers. Uh, but so enjoy that. Like I said, get it. GameDayDepot.com. Search Bucky's fifth quarter. Get the shirt. Get it for Christmas. Give it to your favorite Wisconsin fan. To your, you know, Wisconsin gag gift give it to a gophers fan give it to anyone else enjoy it enjoy it and uh guys have a great week ahead we'll see you guys next week we'll talk to you next week those of you my friends we'll see you soon With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.